This morning we're going to be in Judges chapter 7. You can turn there, Judges 7, and we'll be looking at the story of Gideon. And as I mentioned, uh, over the first two weeks, have a copy of God's Word with you. If you need a Bible, uh, you're a guest today, or maybe you're a regular attender and you didn't hear it the first two weeks, you're more than welcome to take that Pew Bible home with you today as a gift from us. If you need a Bible, we're happy to let you have that. Uh, but we want you to be able to join us as we look at the text of Scripture. And so today, we'll be in Judges chapter 7. I want to begin this morning, jumping right in by reading verse 1 as we set the scene for this great story today, this real-life true event that took place uh, in the history of the nation of Israel. And so we want to read chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. Then Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley." We'll just stop right there because this is just setting the scene for us. Gideon is encamped at the spring of Herod, also known as Gideon's Spring. It's at the base of Mount Gilboa. And if you go over to Israel today, you can go and visit that location, the spring of Gideon, or the spring of Herod, where it's right there at the, mount, at the foot of Mount Gilboa. There's a cave that's there, a small cave, and there's a spring still that is flowing there. You can go to that spring and you can uh, read this story. It's an amazing thing to be able to look and see right where this location is. But Gideon's gathered together with uh, many in the nation of Israel, army of Israel, gathered here together. We're going to find out um, that there's 32,000 of the tribe of Israel, I'm sorry, of the army of Israel gathered together with Gideon as they were preparing for battle with the Midianites. Now, this one verse isolated by itself doesn't do a great job if we just jump in right here of setting the context. So I want to jump back to chapter 6. And really, chapter 6 in verse 1 lets us know really what we need to know to describe what's going on at this point in history in the nation of Israel. Chapter 6, verse 1 says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And so kind of set more appropriate context so we understand what's happening here is the people of Israel, as they normally did in this pattern, that they would serve the Lord and they would worship the Lord as God. And then they would rebel and they would worship idols and they would uh, go against God. And then God would bring them into a position of judgment on them for correction purposes. And the nation of Israel would call out to God and repent and God would deliver them and God then would bless them and they would be obedient and then they would disobey. And it was a pattern a cycle that you see happening in the Old Testament scriptures with the nation of Israel. And here we get the context to chapter 7 in verse 1 of chapter 6. Israel was doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they had been delivered into the hand of Midian for seven years. If you read through chapter 6, and I encourage you to do that, you're going to read that the Midianites were oppressing the nation of Israel. You're going to read that they were in a terrible position. The Midianites and the Amalekites, the enemies of God, the enemies of Israel were oppressing them. And really they were just taking over everything that the, the nation of Israel had. If they were growing crops, they would take the crops. If they would have any kind of success in planting or whatever, then they would take those things and be destroyed. And really we, we find out that this Midianite army was vast, it was huge, and, and very oppressive to the nation of Israel. God then in chapter six would raise up a man by the name of Gideon, a judge, to bring them deliverance. And the rest of chapter six introduces us to Gideon. 
God would approach Gideon and tell Gideon that he was the man that God would use to deliver Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Let's look at chapter 6. I just want to read verses 11 through 16. I think it's important that we see this as God would approach Gideon. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. This is how oppressive the Midianite, the Midianite army was to the nation of Israel. You don't beat out wheat in the wine press, but Gideon was doing this because he was trying to hide from the Midianite army because as he was beating out the wheat, anything that they were producing, it would be stolen. It would be taken. They would take it by dominance and fear. And so he's even right here, kind of in a hiding position as he's doing this. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, verse 12, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. God tells Gideon, I'm going to use you, O mighty man of valor. Go in your might, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon's response, God, are you sure? <laughs> Do you know who I am? Do you know who my father is? Do you know who my tribe is? Are you aware that right now we are being dominated by the enemy and you're going to use me? Gideon's initial response to God was one of fear, worry, and doubt. And yet God would still call and use Gideon as we'll see shortly. Now, let me pause for a moment because I want to tell you where we're going this morning. I don't want you to get lost uh, because we're going to read a, a pretty substantial part of Scripture as we jump into chapter 7 here. So I don't want you to get lost. Let me tell you where we're going this morning. I want to begin, as we've done each week, to make some observations about our God from the passage. I want to point out five truths about our God from the passage that we're going to see today. And then I want to go from there to give us five ways those truths should impact us. And then wrap it up with a short to-do list for us as we go from here, okay? So again, I want to point out five truths that we see about our God. Again, as we mentioned in this series, the character of God is on display. Um, our God who is immutable, it means he's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God that we see at work here in the Old Testament. It's the same God that we serve today. And so we're going to see some truths about God and the character of God here, and then how those truths should impact us. And then let me just give us a few to-dos as we go from here. Let me start by looking at the first truth that we see about God from the passage, and that's this. God can use anyone he pleases to accomplish his work. Let me say that again. God can use anyone he pleases to accomplish his work. This morning, the story of Gideon really stands a bit in contrast to the first two weeks of our series. If you remember back to week one and week two, we looked at David and Goliath, and we looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in each of those two stories, and the men that were used by God in those stories, um, we've seen men that were committed, faithful, trusting, bold, unshakable, unwavering in their faith, strong, mighty men that, that stood up, 
to the opposition and to the enemy. And they had great confidence in God. If you think of David, David didn't even refer to Goliath as the giant or the champion Goliath, just this uncircumcised Philistine. He said, today God's gonna give him into my hands. I, I don't fear, I have nothing to fear. And King Saul, you shouldn't fear him either. Let no one worry about this man. That was David's response. Why? Because he knew that the God that delivered him out of the mouth of the lion and the paw of the bear could deliver him out of the hands of this Philistine, David referred to him as. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego last week in the fiery furnace, you remember when the king gave the decree that everyone needed to bow down and worship the image that he set up, their response when they stood before the king and certainly facing death because of their opposition to the king's command, and they said to the king, we don't even need to answer you about this king. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're still not gonna bow down and worship. I hope you left inspired, encouraged, and challenged by that. But what we see today in the life of Gideon is that God uses anyone he pleases to accomplish his work. Because Gideon was a man that we see as an example of a man who was fearful and timid and not necessarily thinking God could ever use him. We mentioned already when God comes to Gideon, he says, oh, mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, you got the right guy? He was fearful. If you read chapter six and you read about God calling Gideon to do different things, Gideon like kind of wanted God to give confirmation a couple times that God really wanted him to do this or that. We read in chapter six of when Gideon would tear down the, the altar to Baal or Baal and he would tear that down and Gideon was afraid, it says, when he did that. So he did it at night so no one would see. Gideon was a man who had some fears and had some timidity in his serving to God. Again, God's introduction in response to Gideon, verses 12 and verse 14 of chapter six. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. I think this is important for us to understand. We see this also when David was going to be anointed as king. God does not see what others see. God does not see what others see. And maybe even more importantly, God sees what we don't even see about ourselves as God desires to use us. God sees what he can do. When he would go to Gideon and say, go, because you're going to deliver Israel from the hand of Midian, he asked the question, will I not go with you? Am I not sending you? See, God would see what others can't. We sometimes limit what God can do based upon our own limitations. Think of this for a moment. We limit what God can do based upon our own limitations. We operate oftentimes with a limited faith based upon what we know of ourselves. We limit what we think God can do based upon what we know of ourselves. But listen to me, as believers in Christ, it is time for us to operate with a clear and full faith that is based upon not what we know of ourselves, but what we know of our God. Do you see the difference? We don't operate in faith based upon what we know of ourselves, but in faith based upon what we know of our God. And so truly it is not on what we can accomplish or what we can do, but what our God can accomplish and what he can do. And I want you to be encouraged this morning as a follower of Christ, God can use anyone he pleases to accomplish his work, even you and I. And maybe you've never considered that. If you read the rest of chapter six, you'll read of Gideon's doubts and even fears. 
as he hears from the Lord and goes about serving the Lord, but God would be with him. At the end of chapter six, Gideon receives confirmation from the Lord. Many of you may be familiar with that story from the time if you grew up in church as kids, Gideon's fleece, that he would ask God to show forth that he truly was calling him. And Gideon would get that confirmation from the Lord that he would be, in fact, the one that God would use to deliver Israel from the hand of the Midianites. And that brings us to chapter seven, verse one. Gideon is gathered here with 32,000 men at the spring of Herod, army gathered together. And the army they were going up against, well, chapter eight tells us there were 135,000 men in the army that they were about to go against. Outnumbered almost five to one. Five to one. Now, Gideon, who was already a little bit fearful and timid, wonder how he's feeling right now as he's at this spring. But God's about to do something that's going to just completely shake things up. Completely. Look at verses two and three. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many. (laughs) Stop right there. If you're Gideon and you know Gideon's kind of demeanor from what we've talked about in chapter six and you have 32,000 and there's 135,000 in the, in the way the scriptures talk about the Midianite army is it was like there was just too many to count. There were so many of them out there. And God comes and says, hey, you're outnumbered five to one. You got too many guys. I wonder how you'd respond to that. I wonder what Gideon's initial response was. The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me saying my own hand has saved me. You know what God says here? God says, I want there to be zero doubt that the deliverance you're about to receive is from the hand of the Lord and not the hands of men. So God's gonna use anyone he chooses to do this. He's gonna use Gideon and he wants something to be abundantly clear. It is not going to be at your own hand or the hand of a mighty army that you are delivered, but at my hand and I will receive the glory for that. Do you realize God wants and deserves the glory in all things? God is not about you or I receiving the glory. He receives it. He gets it. So I think it's a good checkup for us sometimes when we're serving the Lord or our heart in serving the Lord is are we making much of ourselves or much of the Lord? Because if we're seeking to make much of ourselves, we're doing it wrong. Because that's not what God would intend. Verse three, now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. So he says, God says, there's too many of you here. There's 32,000 to go up against 135,000. And there's too many of you because I want to see the glory here. So here's what I want you to do, Gideon. I want you to tell anybody here who is in fear and trembling to leave. Now, I don't know if Gideon was like, see ya. I don't know what he was thinking. <laughs> but we're going to find out as you read the story, he was fearful. But this announcement is made. And so it says 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. So this proclamation is made. The Lord tells Gideon to do this. Hey, if you're here, the 32,000 already outnumbered five to one. If you're in fear, if you're trembling, go home. Don't stay. You don't need to be here. 22,000 leave. Which leaves 10,000 remaining. Man, the odds are really getting stacked here. Verse four, the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Can you imagine this? Again, I think sometimes we can separate the fact that these are real people. 
God comes to Gideon and says, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So God says, listen, there's 10,000 left. The Lord says there's 10,000, still too many. Here's what we're gonna do. I, I want you to go down to the spring and I'm gonna show you who's gonna stay with you and who needs to leave. Verse five, so he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall sit by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink and the number of those who lapped putting their hands to their mouths was 300 men, but all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. So God says, go down to the water and here's what you're gonna do. The ones that are going to kneel down you imagine if there's a spring there and there's water and they lead the men down there to get water, any of them that kneel down on their knees and put their head down to the water and they're drinking the water as they're kneeled down, separate into one category and the ones that kind of crouch down and they, they take the water out in their hand and they drink it from their hand as a dog would lap, then set them aside. Two different groups of people here. The ones that kneel and the ones that would just kind of uh, squat down and drink it as they drank it out of their hand. Set them aside. And it, there was 300 that lapped as a dog would, putting their hands to their mouths, the passage says. And that means there were 9,700 that knelt down to the water. Now, if I'm giddy and I'm thinking, all right, I got 9,700 men to work with. Wouldn't that be what you were thinking? Or I'm hoping at least right? I'm hoping. There's 300 and there's 9,700. And again, if you're trying to picture this, these are real numbers. Picture this scene. You have the spring of Herod and you have, Herod, you have 10,000 men there. This, this army, 10,000, that's a lot. Not in comparison to 135,000, but still 10,000, that's not a small number. And they're all scattered over by the spring. And you see 9,700 down on their knees, drinking out of the water. And you see 300 with their hand to their mouth drinking. And if you're getting, you're thinking, okay. And what does God say? Verse seven. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go, every man to his home. 300. 300 is what was left. And God says, in verse seven, with the 300 men, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Send everyone else home. This leads to a second truth we see about our God in this passage. The odds are always in his favor. The odds are always in our God's favor. It's absolutely true. And absolutely vital for us to remember and confess. Remember Romans 8, 31, one of the verses that I've encouraged us to memorize in the series. If God is for us, who then can be against us? If God is for us, then who can be against us? It's easy, isn't it, to look at the odds against us. It's easy to look at all the reasons that could be present to fear, to doubt, to worry, to quit. It's easy to focus on the suffering, the evil, the sin, the failures, the innumerable number of enemies and persecutors in our world today, and to come to the conclusion we just can't win. Sometimes God allows us to be put into what appears to be complete weakness and positions of complete vulnerability 
so that we're in a position of complete dependence on him. And that's what he's brought Gideon to. He's brought Gideon to a point of complete dependence on him. I don't know what was going through Gideon's mind. I would love to know what he was thinking. He starts off with 32,000 men. And God says that's too many. And he narrows it down to 10,000. And God says, still too many. And from 10,000, it goes to 300. And God says, just right. Just right. 300 to go against 135,000. 300 to go against 135,000. 450 to 1 are the odds. Man versus 1 to 450. And it didn't matter. The odds are always in his favor. Now let me clarify because I don't want anybody emailing me. I'm not literally talking about odds. Like that there's odds that God might not. What I'm, the point I'm making is that God is never at a point of disadvantage. Okay? They're always in his favor. He can always do more than we could ever ask or imagine. So let's look at verses 8 and 9. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. God gives the order. 300 men. Everyone else is gone. I wonder to pause there for a moment because, again, these are real people. How do you think the morale may have been in the camp of Israel at this point? This Midianite army, if you read chapter 6, they were destructive. They were just a conquering army. They took what they wanted. They were just completely destroying people, destroying the people of Israel. They did what they wanted to do. They were powerful. They were formidable. This was an incredible army, 135,000 strong. And now you have 300 men. If it wasn't enough when you first gathered and you're trying to count heads and you know they're innumerable over there, 135,000, you're counting. You're like, all right, man, we're outnumbered five to one. And then the command's given, if you're, if you're scared, if you're worried, leave. And 22,000 leave. Two-thirds of your men are gone. And you're left with a third and you're 10,000. You think, okay, we got 10,000. All right, guys, listen, we can do this. And then God's like, still too many. And now you look around and that 32,000 that would have been encamped there, that would have been massive, it would have been large, it would have been loud, it would have been maybe energized, is now 300 Think of this. You know what it's like. You know what it's like when you're part of a, a massive crowd of people and the crowd dwindles and all of a sudden you went from a vast crowd to virtually no one and you look around and you think, what are we still doing here? Everybody else is gone. And that same evening after everyone leaves, God comes and says, it's time. It's time. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp. I've given it into your hand. God comes and says, It is time. Let's go. I've given them into your hand. Now, you would think it would be enough, right, that God has said, let's go. You would think, we look at this as a story and we look, okay, if this was David, if this was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go. They're like, let's go now. But not Gideon. Not Gideon. And I don't want us to miss this because the character of God is full, on full display here. Look at verses 9 to 11. That same night the Lord said to him, 
Arise, go to the camp, for I've given it in your hand. Verse 10, but if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. You see what God says here in verses 9 to 11? It's time, Gideon, time to go. I will be with you. Go, mighty man of valor. That's what he said earlier, right? I've given the Midianites into your hand. I will save you. I will be with you. I am your God. This is the moment. This is the time. But God knew Gideon's heart and he also knew Gideon's needs. He knew Gideon would be prone to fear. And so look at the grace of God here. The tenderness of our God. The love our God had for his servant Gideon. The personal, intimate, individual care for Gideon that God demonstrated here. Go, but if you are afraid, first go down to the camp with your servant and listen, and afterwards your hands shall be strengthened. Verse, tell, verse 11 tells us that Gideon went with his servant to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. So we know Gideon was afraid because God said, if you're afraid, go with your servant. And what did he, what did he do? He went with his servant. There was still some fear here on Gideon's part. He was afraid. Verses 12 to 15. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. This is absolutely incredible, this, this part of the story. I've said each week, I feel like there's a turning point in the story. This is the turning point, I believe, for Gideon. Because Gideon in chapter 6, God, do you know who I am? Do you know who my people are? Do you know who my tribe is? I got nothing. I'm even hiding in the wine press, threshing out the wheat. I'm going to be with you, Gideon. Are you sure? I'm going to be with you. Uh, Let me put on a fleece. God, if you're not going to be mad, just show me one more time. I'm going to be with you, Gideon. 32,000 men show up. God says that's too many. 10,000 men, still too many. 300 men, just right. It's time to go. And Gideon is afraid. He's afraid. God says, Gideon, if you're afraid, go down to the camp with your servant. And Gideon goes down to the camp with his servant. And what does Gideon hear? Gideon hears the opposing army confess that they have been given into the hand of Gideon. That's incredible. I don't think you're as excited as you should be about that. (laughs) A third truth about our God here. He is gracious and caring towards those who love him. Do you know that this morning? Have you experienced that this morning? That our God is gracious and caring to you as the one that he loves? I hope your heart and mind is struck to its core by this truth. God knew exactly what Gideon needed in this moment. And I want to encourage you, God knows exactly what you need in this moment and every moment. 
As children of God, we should have full confidence that our God is gracious and caring towards those who love him. I want you to think back to those moments in your life when you were at your lowest. Think back to the moments in your life when you were at your lowest, when you were at your hardest moments in your life. Those moments in your life when you had doubts and fears, anxieties and worries. You didn't think you would ever get out of it. And someone comes along to help or something happens that you can't explain or encouragement and deliverance comes your way. A verse of scripture comes to your mind. A member of the body of Christ brings the presence of peace and comfort. This is our God and what he does. He is gracious and caring towards those who love him. I believe the story of Gideon makes it clear. You can be wholeheartedly seeking to serve the Lord and love the Lord truly and still have the presence of some fear and worry And I'm not saying that fear or worry is justified or that it glorifies God, but let's be real here for a moment. We are not God. We're not yet completely mature and completely sanctified. And so you and I as human beings will have fears. We'll have worries and doubts in our service to God, but I'm here to tell you that God knows that fully. He cares about that fully and still desires to use us, and he will use us as he sees fit. Praise God that he is gracious and loving towards those who love him. Back in the story, this is where I said a transition happens because I love this. Verse 15, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, which, what was the interpretation of the dream? Gideon is coming into our camp and we have been given into his hands. The sword of Gideon has overtaken us. It says that Gideon heard its interpretation, he worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, this is, I already got goosebumps before I've read what he's about to say. Because I know what's coming. I don't know if you know what's coming, but this is what he says. Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. This is incredible. This is Gideon, timid, afraid, worried, doubting. Gideon that hears this. God says, this is the grace of God. Go down to the camp and listen. If you're afraid, just go listen with your servant. And Gideon goes down and he's listening. Probably timid as all get out, afraid. And he's listening and he's like, holy cow. And he worships God. And he comes back to the camp and he's bold and he's ready to go. And he says, get up guys, all 300 of you. Because Midian has been delivered into our hands. That's the leader that they needed at that moment and the leader that God raised up. Verse 16, he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets in the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon has been transformed here. He's been transformed here. It's incredible. So Gideon splits them up into three companies, 100 men each, all 300 of them, and he gives them instruction. He gives them a jar with with torches in the one hand and he gives a trumpet, it says here, most likely like a ram's one that they would blow in the other hand and he splits them up and says, do as I do. Verse 19, so Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in the right hands the trumpets to blow and they cried out a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. 
Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord said, every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. You read the rest of this passage and they would pursue the Midianite army. They would ultimately conquer the Midianite army and God would deliver uh, from the Midianite army, the land of Israel, and, and he would restore them back to fellowship with him. It was a great victory. It's the fourth truth about our God. He is faithful and true to his promises. He is faithful and true to his promises. God made a promise to Gideon and he would keep his promise to Gideon into the nation of Israel. All the way back in chapter six, verse 14, God told Gideon, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? Chapter seven, verse seven, the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. In chapter seven, verse nine, the Lord said to Gideon, arise, go down against the camp for I have given it into your hand. God would do what he always does. He would be faithful and true to his promises. That's who our God is. That's what our God does. And it's on full display again. God keeps his promises. It leads to a fifth truth about our God. He alone can do the impossible. We've said this every week. Our God can do and continues to do the impossible. Only our God can do this. 300 versus 135,000, not a problem for our God. But let me even go a little bit further here. I don't want us to miss something I think is easy to overlook. You look back to chapter, verses 19 to 22, because we went right through that real quick. I want to point something out, though. I don't want us to miss, miss this. Verse 19, so Gideon and the 100 men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. They blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. Don't miss this. Not a single of those 300 men had any swords in their hands as they went to conquer this nation, this army. They stood the 300 of them and they had glass jars in one with torches in it and they had trumpets in the other. And it says they smashed them and lit their torches and they blew their trumpets. Not a single man of that army had a sword in their hand when they did this. That's impossible. But that's what our God has done. This is Gideon who just chapter before, he was really scared. A little bit earlier, was really scared. And now he's standing for battle without a sword in his hand as he goes to battle. Our God does the impossible. And the passage goes on to say that when they did this, it caused the camp of the Midianites to get stirred up and they were in fear and they scattered and God turned each one's sword against the other. And you read in chapter eight that that day, that moment when that happened, when this took place, that 120,000 of the 135,000 died in that fighting amongst themselves. That's why one of our points earlier is the odds are always in our God's favor. Our God can do the impossible. Do you realize today what our God can do and what he's done? God was the one who put the dream into the mind of those in the Midian camp. God was the one who brought confusion and caused each man in the Midianite camp to fight against each other. God was the one who brought fear into their hearts and terror into their minds. God was the one that gave the courage and confidence to the 300. God was the one that was at work while the men held torches and trumpets with no swords. Our God has that power. Our God has that authority. Our God has that control. He alone can do the impossible. 
This is what our God has done. So often we fear what man can do. So often we fear the enemy. We fear the enemy's power or stronghold. We fear the enemy's tactics or how vast the enemy might be. Do you realize what's on display here? Even the mind and heart of the enemy is no match for God. He's sovereignly in control even of that. He can do the impossible. He keeps his promises. These are such incredible truths. Five truths. He can use anyone he pleases to accomplish his work. The odds are always in our God's favor. He's gracious and caring towards those who love him. He's faithful and true to his promises. And he alone can do the impossible. It's an incredible story, incredible true story of how God used Gideon. And how God could use anyone he chooses to accomplish his work. So let me just share how that should impact us today. Five ways. First, be available. Be available because God wants to use you. If you're a child of God today, God desires to use you for his glory. Are you available to him? Have you made yourself available to God for his usage? Secondly, be courageous. If he is on our side, we have the advantage. Do you realize we don't even know all, need to know all the circumstances, all the numbers, all of the opposition. We can say with full confidence, we can be courageous because if God is for us, who then truly can be against us? If God is with us and on our side, we automatically have the advantage. Third, be encouraged. Be encouraged that he knows and cares for you personally and intimately. Be encouraged, church. We don't serve a God that is like the so-called gods of the other nations. We serve the one true living God who knows and cares for us personally, intimately. Be optimistic. Be optimistic because God will do what he has promised to do. God will do exactly as he has promised to do. He's faithful. He keeps his promises. So be optimistic and be confident. Be confident because the God that we serve does the impossible. He continually, again and again and again, does the impossible. He shows us again and again that he alone is God. I don't know what you might be wrestling with. I don't know what you might be struggling with. But these truths concerning God are truths so clearly laid out in his word both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Story after story after story, account after account after account. This is who our God is. This is what our God does. And so be available, courageous, encouraged, optimistic, and confident. Let me just give us a short to-do list as we wrap up. Short to-do list. Number one, get a journal to take note of God's faithfulness. I've said this the first two weeks. Here we are week three. I'm going to say it again. Get a journal so that you can begin to record and write down the faithfulness of God in your life. The times that God shows his goodness and faithfulness in your life. When God shows up, when he shows up in ways that you're like, clearly this is the Lord. This is the Lord at work. This is the Lord teaching and leading and guiding me. Take note of answered prayer. When you're praying and asking of God and God answers prayer, make a note of that. Be encouraged by that. Remember the faithfulness of God. This is something that every believer really should have and every believer should do. Remember the faithfulness of God. And take note of his faithfulness. Secondly, memorize Lamentations 3, 22 to 23 and Romans 8, 31 and 32. Again, this is the third week now. Third week. 
So if you're not doing it, do it. Romans 8, 31, 32, if God be for us, who can be against us? Paul lays out the fact that if God spared not his own son for us, will he not also with him freely give us all things? Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 tells us that God's mercies are new every morning and his faithfulness is great. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and his mercies never come to an end. And then number three on the to-do list, new one today, start your day by acknowledging your availability to the Lord. Would we start our day when we get up in the morning and say, God, I am available for you to use today how you see fit. Acknowledge your availability to the Lord each day. And I believe you will see opportunities that you maybe have never seen before. (laughs) As you ask God to lead and guide you and use you. Because God can use anyone he pleases. And he will empower those he uses. Father, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you that you desire to use us for your glory. Thank you for the way that you use Gideon. Thank you that you receive the glory, Lord. It's not what we can do, but what you can do. I pray that you'd help us to be available to you, making ourselves available for your use, for your glory. You're worthy of that, God. So use us in that way, in Jesus' name, amen.